Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, November 18th. Time for an episode of Trucking Technology and Efficiency. I believe John and Joel both are joining me today. I think I see Joel on the line already. It is Friday. I am ready for a break. I may just turn the show over to John and Joel today and take a nap. I'm not sure. Now, actually, I have way too much energy and too much going on right now to take a nap, but uh, I didn't really prepare a whole lot for today's show. Not that I need to. When these two are on, we could talk all day. We are going to take calls today on Tuesday. I kind of shamed everybody because we've hardly been getting fuel mileage calls and fuel is $5 plus a gallon. So we got a ton of them on Tuesday. I, there were a couple I remember saying you should call back on Friday. We'll be able to get you a better answer. So fuel mileage can certainly be a big topic today. Uh, if you don't call with fuel mileage questions, who knows what you may get today? We will see. Let's... Uh, Let's bring Joel in since uh, I'm not really prepared. Joel, it's on your shoulders today. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? <laughs> Good. I've got all kinds of stuff going on, actually. Since I figured. I here last week. Yeah. Um, yeah, doing some, uh, doing some video work for Volvo on some stuff that'll be interesting when it comes out. I'm excited for people to see it. Um, uh, my brother has one of the new Navistars or internationals coming into the fleet as a demo. Really? Uh, that'll be very interesting. Yeah, it will. But yeah, we, 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 we check everything out. So we yeah. know if something new hits the market, um, we want to know what's going on. So it's going to be a while before he gets it. They're in very high demand apparently for the, for the demo. So it, it so, may take up to a year just to get a demo, but wow. uh, it, it's coming. That's we're, exciting. We're so, in the queue. <laughs> yeah, good. So yeah, just for, for people who may have missed the shows that we've talked about the International Engine, you've looked at the architecture of it, very similar to the Volvo, and even somebody left Volvo and went over to International, right? Uh, well, th that is true. The the former president of Volvo North America took a job with what is it, Trata or Tarta or whatever they're called over there, Tata. that conglomerate. And yeah, he is head of their global powertrain. And you know, I I, I worked quite closely with him for for quite a while on the iTorque concept before it was even called iTorque, and. Um, he took a lot of the ideas with them and they done a hell of a job. I, this it's, is going to be a good one. There is no doubt. Um, Scania designed the engine and of course they have that reputation. They, you know, I'm a Volvo guy, but let's face it, they yeah, built a really good engine. There, right. There's just no doubt about it. And, and they pulled out all the stops on this one. It looks like it's going to be good. They have a 14 speed, um, automated manual transmission that is a single counter shaft design with the planetary gears in the back and they've done some things with their shift strategy that looks pretty impressive so uh we'll definitely be interested in um seeing how it performs when when we finally get our hands on one um that all being said uh i, I had a new test unit come up from volvo that's going into my brother's fleet. This is a hand-built 
um, engine. Um, it, it's it's a very interesting truck. They had to jack the cab up a couple of inches. The hood had to be. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's a very very interesting truck to fit everything underneath it. So um, I can't talk a whole lot about it. Um, it should be extremely impressive, though. Um, some very very cool technology that we'll see on the like the third generation uh, TC most likely. Uh, so we'll have that in the fleet for a while. Uh, one of the suspensions that I have been field testing for them for several years, looks like it may be going into production. It is an Americanized version of a European suspension that is, has zero torque reactivity period. There is none. Wow. Um, it is a very, very cool suspension. Um, handles well, rides well, uh, maintenance costs have been virtually zero on it. I think we put shock absorbers on, on the two that I have in the fleet. I personally absolutely love them, especially in the six by two application because of that very, very low torque reactivity that really helps with traction and tire wear. Um, my truck that I'm currently in, I've been just running the load board, um, you know, I'm pulling a trailer that's got a belly skirt on it, but no, you know, exotic arrow on it. I still have the mirrors on my truck. We haven't done any deletes on the mirrors like we're seeing a lot of the guys doing. Um, the last two weeks, I have purposely went out and tracked down heavy loads to pull. Good. So I have had multiple 80,000-pound loads. Um uh, last week, I ran a kind of a local regional route. I think I had 1,632 miles for the week. Basically ran around Ohio and a little bit into Indiana, a little bit into Pennsylvania. Um, lots of two-lane stuff. All the little towns in Ohio, of course, you're familiar with that. Um, the lightest load I touched that week was 75,000 pounds. Wow. Most of them were just over, over 80,000. I had to use my... Uh, EAPU exemption on the weight to be legal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, uh, um, ran faster speeds when I was on the four lanes, uh, 72 to 73 mile an hour, and came in at 9.1 for the week, which personally I thought was just extremely impressive with the weight and the duty cycle. That's incredible. Um, really? This week? Yeah. This Yes. This week I am, again, hunting down heavy loads. My first load out of the box was supposed to have been um, like 44, but it ended up 22. Um, so I ran that from Lima, Ohio, up to the Buffalo area. I went over and picked up a load of pasta sauce that I ran down to Atlanta, Georgia. That was right at 80,000 pounds. Reloaded in Gainesville, Georgia, soybean oil, and just over 80,000 on my way down to New Orleans with it. Um, I am just a tick under eight or uh, under nine, uh, 8.9. Um, coming down, I just, I was, the, the broadside wind was just terrible. I ran 73 mile an hour the entire way down. Wow. Uh, never really brought it off the cruise except for the metro areas where you have to slow down. Yeah. Um, it done, se- it done 7.7, you know, running down through Kentucky and Tennessee and whatnot uh, with that broadside wind, just the howling. Um, now I'm under a heavier load coming out of Gainesville. There's no wind. It's a nice day. Um, running 70 mile an hour, 
the last 400 miles come in at 9.45. Wow. So um, having a pretty good, very real world, um, higher speed, like I said, no exotic arrows. We still have the mirrors on the truck. Um, this is all powertrain. Yeah. And at yeah. higher speeds. So uh, very happy with it. What I'm finding to be kind of extraordinary, actually, is being able to pull 80,000 pounds at 850 RPM uh, when it's flat with no issue at all. The truck just loves it. Yeah. That's so I, I, I just lay it down. 70, 72 mile an hour is a thousand RPM with this. So when I do have to slow down for the Metro areas, I'm keeping it in 14th. I'm locking it in manual and, um, it has no problem even going up over overpasses. It'll, it'll run right in 14th at 850 with 80,000 wow. pounds with no issue. <laughs> it's idling. So Holy pretty, cow. pretty damn cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's idling. Very cool stuff. Yeah, it is. Wow. And you know, one more so, factor on that, that Ohio week, um, we're not mm-hmm. into the worst of winter conditions, but we're certainly not in the best of summer conditions either. Well, and, and that was kind of the point to be made coming out of uh, the Rochester area where I loaded the, the uh, spaghetti sauce coming down to Atlanta. It was snowing. Yeah. It was 33 degrees and the wind was, was blowing out of the wrong direction the entire time, all the way till I got down to Knoxville. Once I got south of Knoxville, about Sweetwater, the clouds broke, the sun came out, the wind kind of laid down. Um, and, uh, but right. I mean, that first, what, six, 600 miles was, was pretty torturous. And uh, I can't complain. I mean, the fuel mileage held really well. You know, I would venture to say that that first 600 miles, you took somewhere between a 10 to 20% hit. Oh, there, yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. Um, I, I'm, I was figuring a good solid mile a gallon at yeah. least because of the wind. Um, and uh, the and that, that's normal. That's real yeah. world. That's that's what right. happens this yeah. time of year. We're on winter, winter fuel now, and, and uh, the colder air is harder to push through. Um, so one of the really cool things that I've noticed out on social media here is I have seen several people actually doing tractive effort calculations trying nice. to figure things out and i was i was i was throwing a party there i thought this go. was really cool yeah it is and their and their numbers were were very close um we had one gentleman in particular he was he's got an older school setup and he was comparing a 565 i believe 2050 commons to a 455 1850 tc downsped and he went through the numbers and his calculations were right. Some of his assumptions were a little bit off, but it was close. Yeah. And what he had discovered going through this, he's like, well, it, it just won't pull as good. No, a 455 <laughs> will not pull on par with a, with a 565 in once you push it to the extreme. Right. The more horsepower is always going to pull better, but you can get that 455 in the neighborhood. Right. And once you understand, yeah. And once you understand that the assumptions that we typically make on how much power or torque it takes to move something down the road, um, isn't, we always overestimate, then you can start to understand how this works and, and why it works so well. So one of the things he was asking was, you know, how much horsepower does aerodynamics and stuff account for? So here's, 
just kind of a basic rule that I work off of. And this is fairly accurate. Obviously, there's going to be some variation, but you know, from going from an aero truck like mine to a W9 with the twin stacks and the air cleaners and stuff, at 70 mile an hour, that's going to be about 25 horsepower just on the aerodynamics that you're losing, okay? Yeah. Going from a 39-inch gap to a 65-inch gap, which is fairly common on some of the old school trucks, that's another 25 horsepower, so now we're at 50 horsepower. 6x2 versus 6x4, that's another 25 horsepower. So now we're at 75 horsepower. And then you take the RPM in the engine, you know, running at 990 or 1,000 versus running at 1,500. That's another 25 horsepower. So you've got 100 horsepower that you're giving up in that old school truck. Right. You know, before you even get started. So now my... My 455, 1850 versus that 565, 2050. Yeah. We're getting damn close. Yeah. We're getting very close. But ultimately, that 565, when you have to push it out to the limit, it's going to outpull my 455 on a hill. It's not going to be horrible. You're, well, you're talking we, seconds. I was just going to say, we have to put some perspective on this here. We are talking, it, you it, can't even measure this in minutes. No, no, it, it, it is literally seconds. And, yeah. and the thing of it is, when you look at, oh, God, you know, I'm going up a 10% grade. Are you really going to spec your truck <laughs> for the, the 1% or 2% of your trip or right. the 98 to 99% of the trip where that downsped powertrain is just going to kick the hell out of that it, traditional in terms of fuel efficiency? And I, I do you like know? to and remind other, people once in a while. Mm-hmm that no matter how big that grade is today, it was exactly that same size 35 years ago, and we were making it up with 290 horsepower. It's the same hill. Well, here's, yeah, here's the other thing that I'm really learning on this, and it, it, it's kind of difficult to get your mind around. Um, I'm trying to figure out the right terminology to kind of, um, you know, make it very easily understandable. But as I'm going down the road in my truck at 75 mile an hour and I'm turning, you know, uh, just about 1100 RPM and I've got that very tight gap and you've got some aerodynamics working for you at that point, especially when you're having momentum starts to really work in your favor because your parasitic drag is so low. So when you have that, classic truck with that 300 inch wheelbase and you don't have you know any arrow going on at 75 mile an hour when you let off the accelerator you can just feel that truck really start to slow down right yeah with my truck i let off the accelerator and it rolls and rolls and rolls <laughs> i've got a i've got a couple of pl- places where i do roll down tests and especially with these big front tires on here, which is another thing that's going to be counterintuitive to a lot of people, you know, we're, we're spreading that weight out over a bigger area. So it significantly reduces the rolling resistance. And this particular truck far outrolls anything that I've ever tested before after I put the big tires on the front. So I don't know if I've told you this story before, but the first signature truck we built back in 09, I think we finished that. Um, we 
you know, built it in Tennessee. We drove it up for the Louisville truck show. That was, it wasn't even done. Some of the parts were just mounted on there. Like the OPS might not have been hooked mm-hmm. up. It was mounted on there. And then we finished it and we drove it out to Colorado. And we were just going to play with it mm-hmm. and test it. And so we sold it to a guy in Salt Lake City that had a fleet and he had his own authority, ran four trucks, I think, at the time when he bought this one. Um, he ran a lot of heavy dairy uh, from Salt Lake City to Portland. Mm-hmm. So right past my house here and back. Mm-hmm. He had been doing it for years. Um, all Pete 379s, if I remember right, they were all classic, whatever they were. I'm pretty sure they were Pete's. Um, usually big cats. Uh, fleet average is like 5.6, just about what you would expect. He bought that truck from us. Mm-hmm. And he started driving it first. And one of the first, before he ever really gave us any fuel mileage numbers or anything, he said, there is something about this truck very different. And I said, well, there's a lot of things about that truck very different, but what do you mean? (laughs) And he, he had this place where he always stopped. It was, he stopped for coffee Mm -hmm. and, and when he would get off that exit and he's been doing it for years he had a place where he kicked it into neutral and let it coast. And he would just about come to a stop right at the stop sign every time down at the bottom of the ramp. He'd been doing it for years. He said, I kicked that thing into the neutral, same place I've been doing it for years. He said, I almost blew through that stop sign at about 40 miles an hour. And I said, yep, that was the point of a lot of what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I'm really trying to do with the six by two in general is bring that driver's experience up to par or better than what we experience with a six by four. And that's been a challenge with the way some of the things were set up. So I can tell you, and I've really got to get with the people at Michelin. I don't know if they're going to want to talk to me because I've been hard on them for a while, (laughs) but these steer tires, there is, there is something special going on here. And I'm not able to get my mind completely around exactly what's happening. And I'm hoping to maybe get a hold of some of their engineering staff and take a deep dive here because uh, it handles much better. It rides much better, but that this rolling resistance that we knew, and this isn't the rolling resistance calculator value. This was a proprietary number Michelin had internally. So I can't get the number out. Right. All I can tell you is that versus their latest and greatest typical standard low pro 22, five, the three sixty five seventies that I'm running right now are about 18% lower. Wow. Now I have a feeling when I start to load this front end that that number that Delta gets even bigger. Oh, that because this that thing makes is sense. Just right. It's just crazy. And so what you notice when you get off road with the skinny tires on a six by two, when those skinny tires kind of sink in a little bit, the truck wants to dig a hole and bury itself. Right. And that's been something that we've really struggled with. There's just no way to stop that. So with these big fat tires on the front, you don't get near that digging effect. And my assumption is that there's something very similar going on in, on pavement. Obviously it's not digging to the point where you can see it, but with that, with that rolling resistance, there's definitely something going on there. Um, like I said, I, I, it's above my pay grade to be able to really lay that out and explain exactly what's happened. I can feel it though. Plain as day. 
and you know, it is we, it's pretty pretty dramatic. We should probably get uh, Mike Beckett to weigh in on this because he studied the dynamics of what's happening in that tire a lot. Um, my guess, just from mm-hmm. talking with him over the years and the way the tire rolls through a certain pattern, is the skinnier the tire, we get a more severe curvature of the tire itself. And when you spread that tire out wider, I think that tire deforms less as it's rolling through that patch. But I, I'm sure Mike Beckett could do a better job than I can. And it, I'm going to take a chance here to bring John in because he's, I'm pretty sure he's screaming at his phone on all, right. all kinds of stuff. Aren't you, John? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't beat it to get, again, get you in here. So, my world, too. Yeah. I know. So I, I, I love Fridays because I can be really lazy, and I was this morning. I did not show up with anything. All I had to do was wind up Joel and let him go. And now I've got you. So I could go take a nap if well, I want. I, my, my assignment from last week is a work in process. I've got some honey and peppers uh, fermenting at the apartment right now. So, yeah, that's uh, looking forward to that. So, so I did do that. Excellent. I went to my beekeeper. I was running low on, on, on pollen anyway. So I got a guy about three miles from here who uh, they said he sells me a thing of pollen for three bucks and a, and a jar of honey is six or seven. And I don't mind contributing. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's cheap as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. So when did but, you, uh, uh, did you get the peppers in going. it? It's going. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did it. I, it's been going since Wednesday. So it's got a day and a half on it right now. Have so, you yeah. looked to see how thin it is already? It's like the viscosity is like half of what it was. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty yeah, crazy. It, 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 it's gone from like, you know, 90 weight to about 40 right now. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we have a great way of describing <laughs> it too. Um, so, <laughs> so Joel, have you heard the uh, my hot honey fiasco? I have not. Oh boy, I, I'm not going to go into it today because it's a it's a long story <laughs> and it's a little while. John and I. That's all we talked about last Friday. That was the whole show last Friday. Oh, you talked. You were you were obsessed last week. I was. Yeah, I'm you, still you out. Were, you were completely I'm more obsessed. obsessed now. <laughs> I, I, I knew I knew something happened because I had literally about 25 people send me a message. Did Kevin fire you and start a cooking show? I have no idea. I I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I knew oh, something man. happened, but yeah. I didn't know exactly what. <laughs> yeah, well, so now you have an assignment, too. you got to try this stuff. It's so okay. crazy. You know, I, I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, I promise, because both of you guys have tons of good stuff today. But I want to get you started, so you've got a week to get ready for next week. And we'll bring you guys on on Wednesday, and we'll talk about this instead. Um, so here's what you got to do. You got to go down to your local grocery store and pick out, like, mm-hmm. your favorite hot pepper, whether it's a jalapeno, a red jalapeno, okay. a habanero, whatever you like as far as hot peppers go. You can mix and match if you want. Then you're going to buy raw mm-hmm. honey. Get it at your grocery store. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody local to get really cool honey, get honey and a jar. And all you're going to do is chop up the peppers, pack them into the jar as many as you can get in there. Pound them down with whatever you got. Pack as many peppers as you can and then just keep pouring honey into it and letting it filter down until you fill the jar. Put a lid on it, stick it mm-hmm. someplace at room temperature, and in in 24 hours, you'll see it go from 90 weight to about 50 weight after 
72 hours, <laughs> it's down to about uh, 10 weight uh, synthetic. And the flavors of this stuff, it, it's just incredible. I put this stuff all over everything now. I'm writing a whole recipe book before I'm done with this. I'm just, uh, I am obsessed with it. There's nice. no, and everybody who's tried it loves it. I will definitely try it out. It, it, it gets some going, yeah. Yeah, we're actually... F- I'm not sure what I'm going to eat it on or do with it, but I can't wait to pick I, the peppers out and eat them, to be honest with you. So, here's yeah, that's, that's gonna be here's one of the best things I've found to do with those peppers. Just chop them up and, and mix them into some really good goat cheese. I Ooh, will just eat that good. stuff by the spoonful. All right. We got to stop. Mm-hmm. We got to uh, stop. No, we got, we, enough we, of that. We, we, we got to get back to tires. Okay, back to tires. <laughs> you, you guys talk for a little while so I can settle down. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like that for an hour and a half last week. I'll have you. It was bad. That was bad. I had it. It was. It was a dream. I had a dream the night before. It might have been. It might have been the hundred milligrams of melatonin I took. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but uh, so your your the tire thing. You know, there's so much that goes in when you talk to the Michelin engineers. I'm sure they won't disclose everything, but I've done extensive tire testing in the past mm-hmm. in regard to motorsport, but again, that there's not much difference. Um, we'll test constructions and shapes and the way the belts are wound and what it does at different loads. Uh, th- there are so many variables in the way they, they weave the carcass and such that it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many different ways they've done it and whatever Michelin's done there on that bigger tire, um, is, is obviously working for you, but it, I, I guarantee it's in the construction of the tire somehow and the way it deflects, and what it does under load and you're spreading it like as with everything, you know, it's good. It's better until it isn't kind of thing. There's a bell curve, right? I right. Mean, so right. a skinny tire will, you know, at some loads have less resistance, but at some point you're going to get a load on there where you need to spread it out over more to have, have uh, less so, resistance. And yeah, you so know, here, here's my thought on this. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a weight biasing suspension and that, loads the endpoints. So when you have a six by four that has a 50, 50 split back there on the tandem, you're never really putting heavy weight up on the steer 13, two, 13, four, you know, where I can go to 15 very easily. And my thought is that that standard 22, five, when you get it out over 13, two, which is where I'm assuming they designed that sweet spot in terms of rolling resistance and handling, once you get over that, it feels kind of funky. And now, looking back on it, the truck just doesn't quite roll right. And with these bigger tires, you're like, holy shit, what a difference. I mean, it's very, very noticeable. Now, they're nothing that I would put on a 6x4 because you can't load these tires up with a 6x4. But uh, with my fifth wheel position on a weight biasing suspension, you know, 14, 6, 15 comes pretty easy out front. And uh, it just rides like a dream, handles like a dream, and just rolls forever. It's it's crazy. Having a little extra load on that front axle probably does make the truck ride a whole lot better. I mean, because it's so so biased to the rear normally. That, uh, if you have the yeah. correct tires up front, I'm learning that. You know, when I when right. I run that heavier weight with the standard 22.5s handling, it, it wants to track ruts, something fierce. When you put that kind of weight on a on a skinny tire, and um, 
it, you know, when you're going around a corner, things just don't quite feel the same. But with these, I, literally, you don't even know that weight's out there. Uh, it's uh, it's very, very nice to drive. It's 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 very nice for the driver's experience. And again, I know I'm going to get a ton of people. Oh, should I put these on my six by four? I wouldn't do it because you're just not putting any weight out there. But if you've got a a weight biasing six by two suspension, um, you definitely need to definitely need to think about it. Uh, it does a very uh oh. And uh, so the, the op, yeah, to optimize this, we're, we're going to have to make some adjustments on that um, to get the to get it back down, or maybe talk to Michelin and get a, a different aspect on the tire. Um, we'll see what they maybe maybe they can bring some of them European tires over. Possibly, I don't know. I'm pretty excited oh, yeah. though about the results that I'm getting from from this particular All right. tire. All right, so I have, I have to jump in here because somebody got really pissed off. They thought we were going to talk about hot honey all day, and they're hacking me. They're attacking my phone and my <laughs> internet connection. And <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I got I, all kinds of messages. I know. They, <laughs> they, they, they're like, did he fire yeah. you? And I said, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I think they were ready for me. I, uh, firing you, firing you would, would insinuate that you got paid. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, the 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 work we do here is very rewarding. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I have no idea what you guys were talking about, but carry on. Uh, I was the tires. And, and, and European trucks again, and uh, I, I just still obsessed with their attention to detail. That's all. Um, I was told. I told Joel I was looking through some photos again last night, just from uh, from the trip, and uh, I should post more of those. Maybe I will uh, this afternoon. The uh, just the attention to detail, you know, the out of the box trucks, the way they come and the way the arrow is just so tight, and all the you know all the all the bodywork and little fairing and arrow bits on them are just uh, you know it's it's all it's serious. And, and here we see, it seemed to be kind of half-assed about it. Yeah. And it just, yeah. Uh, it strikes you when you look at it. And, you know, the thing in the owner operator world is it's, it's almost a crime to be arrow. You know, they, it, it's, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's kind of rage against the machine type of thing. I, I have no <laughs> idea, but man, oh man, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Some of these guys, you know, they, yeah. they literally get pissed off when you're rolling to the fuel island with an aero truck and they're in their big brick and they're, you know, they're, they're mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Well, part of it, part of it is that that anger comes from the fact that when you open your door, the, the hundred dollar bills are just spilling out onto the pavement. That's what they're pissed off. About. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was, I, I had a guy out of social media just permitted for recording your message. Really, you are satisfied with your message. Press one to listen to your I message. Rip me up one look, side and down the other. Look, they're they're hacking us again. What the hell That's is that? Are you still there? You have reached the maximum time permitted for recording your message. Wow. If you are satisfied with your message, press 1 to listen to your message. Is it the Russians or the Koreans or what's going on? We call, no. three. Sounds like someone's calling. We called somebody. Is the system calling somebody that's not answering? Yeah, me. Are you this still is, there? You have reached the maximum time calling you. for recording your message. I got to drop one of these calls, but I don't know which one I should drop, so I may... I may be back here in a second. Um, 
Are you still hearing me? Okay. <laughs> I think. I, we hear you yeah. just fine. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. the way our system works is the easiest way for me to connect my phone so that everybody hears all the callers and all that is the I make the call out from our switchboard to my phone. And for some reason, right in the middle of talking, that phone call just dropped. And when I went to reconnect it from the switchboard, it wouldn't connect. It just sat there saying calling. So the other way for me to do it is just dial the other way from my phone. Well, I dialed the other way from my phone and then the first call connected. And I had, and then on the board, I couldn't tell which one was which. <laughs> so I didn't want to hang either one of them up. So that's why we had, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, they're hacking me. I'm sure of it now. <laughs> it's either a, a group of pissed off listeners or it's Rocket Man over in North Korea. I'm not sure which one. That's it, Rocket Man. Yeah, <laughs> it could be the it could be the Saudis. You know, we're talking about fuel. That's savings true. Here. Now you're uh, onto something. It's the oil companies. There you they, go. They just yep. just it's like oil. those. It's big oil. It's big oil. Yeah. Just like yeah. those. <laughs> we need a congressional <laughs> investigation. <laughs> we need no, we we need Elon Musk to investigate. So it's no different it's, than those 80-mile-per-gallon carburetors from the Kevin, 60s. If, if we want to stop the hacking, just call Hunter and put him on the payroll, <laughs> and it'll all go away. <laughs> there you go. It will all go away. We'll be, we'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. That'll do it. Aye, aye, aye. Ah. All right. We should probably go to some so, calls. And you guys finish up on what you're... Somebody have related. Wait a second. Wait, wait. I, I, I got something else here for Joel. Yeah. Are you going to do... Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to go completely away from tech and truck briefly here for a second. Since you're out there mm -hmm. running off of load boards like a regular owner-operator, mm -hmm. you do some... Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to ask how much money you make or anything, obviously, but how is that comparing to you know, your normal fleet dedicated runs or, you know, few customers that you look after, like from a so financial I standpoint. compare, I, I've been comparing revenue, um, what I'm doing per week and then what my brother's trucks are averaging per week. Now he's contract freight with a fuel surcharge. So he's running slightly better than what I am off the load board. Um, We've established uh, a break-even point, and I'm well above a break-even point. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of guys talking about, oh, I'd never run for a buck fifty a mile off the load board. I haven't touched anything for a buck fifty a mile. I can tell you that right now. It's um, some of that stuff that I ran on the short regional stuff. I mean, that shit was going at five, six bucks a mile. So I'm not quite sure where people are talking about all these, there are loads out there with crappy rates. Of course. Don't get me wrong. They're there, but you just go right past them. <laughs> right. Why take them? <laughs> um, you know, well, so you I'm, to get I'm you not to get a, yourself to a good one, right? Well, you could use that, one to get that, well, where you need to be. It, right. It happens on occasion. Uh, the, the load that I ran down to Florida a few weeks ago, um, I picked up a load going over to Texas. It, it was still better than a buck fifty a mile. It wasn't what I considered good, but it, it got me over to a load that paid really well heading up to uh, New England. So um, when I look at my numbers for all miles run, um, you know, it, it's 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 quite a bit north of two bucks a mile um, for all miles. Everything 
everything in. So um, we're, we're making money. I'm paying myself just like I would a, a regular driver. Um, my pace a little bit different. I, $22 an hour um, over time past 40 and then 20 cents a mile on all miles run. And um, I mean, we're, we're above board. So, um, and that's not including any of my consulting stuff. All that is separated out. That is just transportation. I'm not throwing any of my numbers for any of the other work that I'm doing into transportation. It is a complete separate entity. That is Alpha Drivers Transportation. I have Alpha Drivers Testing and Consulting. So there is a brick wall between the two. So there's no, there's no bleed over. Right, right. So you're you're proving it out. again. You would love to love to see that happen. And you look at people and say they can't afford a newer truck and whatnot, and the money's not there. Here you're all hustling like a you know any other owner operator or guy who's on a truck and he's got to get to work. Yeah, and it works. So the business model does work, and it is a viable business. And yeah, it's, it's, it's the, awesome. The one, one I, I, I love that, that you're doing I'm, this. Like I, I when you see when you know, we say you're yeah. just you know working off the board and stuff. I, just, I, I love seeing that. The one thing that I'm kind of noticing, uh, I, and I think what may be possibly a trap to some of these guys, they get, they're, they're not willing to go to where the money's at. They want to run a certain lane. And so they'll only take loads in that certain lane. And I, if you were going to do that, you're done. I mean, you are not going to do well at all, but if you're willing to follow the money, um, you know, and, and you don't have to, if you got to be home under a certain schedule and you're only going to run on certain highways and certain lanes, it's going to be very difficult. Um, you're going to need some dedicated stuff. Um, you know, after the first of the year, I'll probably jump back over onto the furniture side for my output stuff. Um, fuel surcharge comes with that. and The rates are much, much, much better, but it, it's slow right now. So I figured, you know what, let's run the load board. So the, all these guys that say you can't do it, I, I want to know, just like you, John, I want to know, is this possible? Can you do this? You absolutely can. Of course. Um, yeah. it, 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 how, mo- how motivated are you? I, you know, so. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yes. All right. We're, uh, we're going to okay. jump to some calls. One other thing real quick. I almost, almost bought some Tesla stock last week. And I, I have been out of the market for years. Uh-huh. Even when I was in the market, I gave up individual stock a long time ago. The only reason I considered buying it is they have their uh, truck event coming up the first week in December. And I wanted to go down to mm-hmm. it. So I was trying to figure out what do you have to do to get into one of these events? And I may still try to get in with some sort of media pass or something. I don't know. But the way they're they're doing it is they hold a raffle among their shareholders. So even if you have the stock, it's not a slam dunk and they do some sort of a raffle, but I'd love to attend that event. Hey, speaking of the the Tesla truck, um, when I was running around Ohio, I drove by the big test track out at West Jefferson. And as I was driving by one of the garage doors rolled up and one of the Tesla trucks was pulling out, headed out to the track. Really, um, which I thought was pretty cool that yeah. they had it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they had it at, at uh, and I think that's Ohio State's. What is that? The Center for Automotive Excellence. That, that testing. I done some testing with them when I was doing the the air dog stuff, and we didn't get out on the test track. We just worked off off their dyno that simulates running through a through a uh, a metropolitan Drop duty cycle. cycle. Got it. Yeah, yeah, and and. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool just to see it rolling out there. And, and 
uh, heading out on the track. So they're they're yeah. definitely serious about it. They you know they got second you know other parties involved to verify stuff, and which is always important. So um, yeah, I guess this for them. this event they're actually delivering the first truck to Pepsi or a fleet of them or however many I don't know what the number is, but they're they're taking delivery. That's what the event is for. So they're going on the road not as a test. I mean, right. this is a truck they bought it. They have to right. go make it work. Yeah. So it'd be, uh, it, did, did we, um, before we get to the calls, did we talk about that, the, the, the statistic about um, charging stations that I learned when I was down at that event in Tennessee? The terminal that yeah, Snyder was trying to build. About yeah. That. Yeah. 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 Holy. Yep. Yep. And, and the more I dig into that, it is, it is insane how far away from this we are being able to do this. It, it, we're we're I, it's almost, you know, we're not even close. It, it's so, la- it's almost ridiculous. It's so bad. Electric is going to work well in the you know where they're home every night, and, yeah. th- and that's where that should be. That it makes a whole lot of sense, and you want that 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 cleaner truck in the metropolitan areas. You know, not not blowing out the exhaust and stuff, but over. Over the road stuff for quite a while, we are going to be diesel, maybe diesel with a mild electric hybrid going on, something like that. But it's going to be essentially diesel powered. There's some hydrogen stuff out there. Um, you know, I, I know Cummins has given just some outrageous cost on their hydrogen internal combustion, and Volvo's been doing a lot of work on their hydrogen electric cell stuff. Um, it, it, it both of them work. There's no doubt, but. The, the cost isn't there yet. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think that that's going to happen for quite a while. And we're getting cleaner and cleaner every day on the diesel. The efficiency's coming way up, the versatility, the speed um, that, you know, diesel allows you um, and the infrastructure's in place. We're, it's going to be around for quite a while. There's no doubt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the. So I was just. Uh, uh, two, two things there. Let me jump in real quick. Uh, July. I just read the uh, Volvo just did a deal with Flying J for charging stations. Did you read about that? Uh, they're 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 working on on you know trying to put together uh, a, a network. It, it's going to be a challenge no matter how they do this. Right. Um. You know, I I'm glad that they are partnering up with some of the people that you know have boots on the ground out there finally and and working directly with. Uh, a major uh, truck stop chain rather than trying to go through the government and have the government implement everything. I'm sure there's government right. money involved somewhere along the line, but oh, at least you've got an OEM yeah, talking to a, a truck stop, and that's all. That's going to be helpful for sure so everybody I understands. That's all rolling. And I, I saw on, on the road yesterday, I, I meant to mention, uh, Hylion still has a presence here in Pittsburgh. They still keep a shop here, even though they moved everything else to Austin. But they do have a workshop here too. Uh, their latest hybrids rolled by me in traffic yesterday, and I followed it into the, the the fuel station. Same place I saw the other guy, the one who said he was getting a whopping eight miles per gallon. I did not get to talk to this one. I was pulling mm-hmm. flatbed, but it was a it was a brand new Pete five seventy nine Epic, which should be an eight mile per gallon or nine anyway piece, you know, out of the mm-hmm. box. Uh, and it had a really, really much more refined than it once was, uh, the, the, the highly on stuff. It looks pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what that does. And, you know, I don't know why we're skipping hybrid so, so rapidly, but, uh, hybrid range extended, you know, hydrogen fuel cell powered, you know, like the Nikola concept anyway, uh, makes a ton of sense to me. It just does. Uh, 
Yeah, like I, I've said you know, before. Your, your, can't, truck, your throwing, truck can't make diesel fuel going down a hill. It can make electricity. No, it's that right. So, yeah. One of the things that I had thrown out to one of the major OEM component manufacturers was to do a mild front-wheel drive electric hybrid on my truck with some hub motors that, you know, maybe as you're coming up through the gears, they would kick in. Um, or when you're pulling a hill and you have to drop past a certain uh, a certain speed it would kick in and you know uh, let, let's say we're 455 now and we do a 150 horsepower electric hybrid on on the front um, we solve a lot of problems with wintertime traction uh, safety you know in front wheel drive potentially um, you're, you're up to you know, 600 horsepower at that point um, if we're 1850 torque on the engine, we get another two, 300 pound feet of torque out of the electric. I mean, to me, it, it could make some sense. Um, drop a fuel tank, put a battery over there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes some sense. Uh, it, it, it just, it's, it's the weight, obviously, that that's going to add the battery technology and the weight is still, I think, uh, an issue. Um, that being said, the component manufacturer that I was talking to had a lot of the highly on numbers, and I, I'm with you. They did not impress me at all. I, I kind of giggled when they were talking about it. They're like, what? And I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> this yeah. is, uh, with all the money and all the time they've spent on this and all the investors that they have, um, it, it, it did not move me at all. Uh, and I, I can't figure it out why people continue to just throw money at this stuff and the results just aren't there. I think they're getting something wrong. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I, I think if, if you and I jumped on that project or threw you in a truck that had it and you know, went out and really tried to get some real numbers, I believe that we could do something. But I, I have, I, I have no not. doubt. They're, they're missing something. I'm not sure what, what they're missing. And I think it's on the engineering setup end, shall we say. I, I just think they get something, yep. something else wrong there. You know as well as I do, though, that when you start talking to senior engineering staff, there's a hell of an ego issue going on there. And for two guys to come out of kind of nowhere to, to school the senior engineering staff, it just doesn't, it doesn't generally go over well. I mean, if there was a liaison there that could say, could, you know, to make that introduction and, and make everybody comfortable. But, uh, yeah, when you show up out of the blue saying, hey, this is crazy, they generally don't react with that. I, I had a great experience with that well, with, I, uh, with some oil engineers. Uh, when I stood up on stage and mm -hmm. there was an oil company sponsoring the seminar, and I didn't make it a part of my presentation. I stayed away from oil sampling because I had a ton of stuff I could talk about anyway. One of the very first questions I got at the end was, I've heard you talk about and I've read your articles about the fact that you don't change the oil in your trucks. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly mm -hmm. correct. I said, I, I do eventually change the oil in my trucks, but I do it based on the condition of an oil sample. And sometimes it's hundreds of thousands of miles. And you just watched everybody in the back of the room from the oil company turn white. And, and then the whole conversation just kept going and that you could see them back there. They're whispering to each other. They're writing down notes. And at the end, immediately I got, <laughs> we, we have to have a meeting. And I'm like, all right. So we walk into this room and it's like the, the PR person and then three oil engineers and me. 
And I sit down at the table and they're like, you can't tell people that. And I said, well, of course I can. I just did. (laughs) No, you can't. You can't say that. That's not right. And I said, what part wasn't right? The fact that you don't have to change your oil. I said, I... I was very clear about that. That's not what I said. I said, we change it based on conditions and sometimes it'll go 100,000 miles. You can't tell people that. I said, wait a minute. I said, I I know a little bit about your company. I said, you guys know a lot about oil analysis, don't you? We have the largest database of oil samples in the world. And I said, oh, so tell me Mm -hmm. what part of this isn't correct then. Well, you just can't tell people that. And I said, well, of course I can. Tell me which part isn't correct. And they couldn't. I mean, it it was their own data. Here's here's the part you're missing there, because when you start to investigate these engineers, you'll find that most of them have a degree in economics as well as engineering. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Joel. Joel, some somebody in another car just drove by and grabbed your Bluetooth signal or something. You there? Now, yeah, that, I think that's better. Uh, okay, a little better right, now. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, it, it, again, you know, it's not rocket science, Kevin. It's how they make money. Exactly. I mean, you can't blame them. I know. I, I but the, so. you would have thought that they might have <laughs> thought about that before they made themselves look like idiots in the meeting. <laughs> You would have thought they would have had some sort of a plan to, to, you know, say why I shouldn't. They had nothing, and then I used their own data, and they didn't even see that coming. Like, yeah, we have the biggest database of oil samples (laughs) in the world. I said, good, you have the biggest set of proof for what I just said then. Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you're spot on. All right, we sometimes on counter to the technology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I've got I've got two good friends in the oil business right now. So my guy, the uh, the DA Lubis guy, you know, and and I run their stuff in my race cars. Even I just run their diesel oil in my race cars. And uh, the people in my business in racing often will like change their oil every race, and yeah. I don't. I'm yeah. like. Why? Right. You know, I, I don't need to do that. And, and, and you get to that. Well, it's cheap insurance. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. It make any right. difference. It's, it's, right. it's not cheap and it's not so, insurance. I, I will literally run it for a whole season. And then, you know, over, over the winter, I'll, I'll change it, which is okay. So. It, it, and it's, it's fine. Like I've had some sample, the, the Trent's car two years ago or year before last, we didn't run an oil cooler on it. And I often ran the oil up around 300 degrees. It wow. didn't bother it a bit. Really? Nothing. No oxidation. It was fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd run it to 300 wow. you know, by the end of the race. It was tickling 300. I had to set my alarm to 325 to keep it from going off. So, And it's fine. It, it's absolutely fine. Like It didn't do anything bad at all. I sent some of it back to DA, and they said it was great. That's They'd incredible. still rather me run their racing oil, and I'm like, why would I? <laughs> so, so I literally, I, ha- I have a drum of their 540 synthetic here that I put in everything that I own. <laughs> there you go. And the guy there gives me a drum right. once a year. I get one for right. free, and I, yeah, yeah. So I put their stickers on stuff, and that's it. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's it's awesome. And another friend of mine from motorsport, actually a guy that you know, who used to think the fellow who used to work for uh, uh, Smart Truck. Oh yeah, Steve Wolf. Yep. He's an engineer there at Smart Truck. So Steve and I are both race engineers. We, we 
competed with uh, against each other and, and, and worked together on different projects o- over the years. And uh, just great guy. He just took a job for Motul. Motul is a French oil company that makes some fantastic oils. And with his experience at Smart Truck and so forth, I'm like, I told him, he said, well, you know, what do I do to get into the heavy duty? And I'm like, well, you know, the Shell's got the juggernaut there. You got the big, you know, Shell or Dello or, or, you know, they're just the big ones that everybody just runs because they think it's better. I said, it's going to be a, a tough nut. I said, well, what do you got? What do you think of having them formulate an oil for extended drains? Like embrace the fact and go after this, this market that we have. You know, with guys who will run it over 100,000 miles at the sample. Interesting okay, idea. And maybe even offer a sampling service. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, just yeah. don't, don't you know, go counter to yeah, that. Yeah, that's a great idea. he goes, idea. well, yeah, then I wouldn't sell any oil. Right. You know, Castrol, Castrol does that. They have a, a product line, Extended Drain. And you notice mm-hmm. you hear virtually nobody talking about Castrol. Now, we've run it for years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it easily goes to 100,000 miles on just the regular old stock stock system. And that was back in the D12 days. Wow. Um, and wow. you never hear okay. anybody talk about it because well, they don't sell much of it because it's, it's <laughs> been a drain. <laughs> you know, the first time... Right. The first time I decided to test a bypass filter, and it was the Harvard filter at the time, and I was just building a relationship with the local shop because I had just moved my operation down to Orlando, and I, I you know, knew the owner of the shop, and I was talking directly to him, and I came in one day with this filter, and I said, I want this installed, and he said, what does it do? And I said, I'm not going to have to change my oil anymore. And, you know, I was joking. I said, I, I will change it eventually. I said, but if this works the way it's supposed to, I might be going 100,000 miles plus. And he looked at me and he said, why the hell would I want to put that on your truck? I said, what do you mean? And he said, right. I'm going to make a lot of money <laughs> from you doing oil change. And he was kind of half joking. He said, I, I really don't like that idea. And I looked at him and I said, John. I know this is an early relationship. I said, here's how this is going to work. You can either put that on and you'll continue to get the rest of my business, or you can choose not to put it on. And I don't know what might happen. And he said, yeah, we'll put it on. Uh, And John's a great guy. I still send people down there to him. But uh, yeah, it was the same thing. He's like, well, why would I want to put that on your truck? Because I asked you to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We uh, uh, we have got to get some phone calls. They are piling up, and we've had people yeah, waiting. Uh, we're going to get started in Louisiana. Jacques, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, I, I will say last week you were possessed a little bit. It was a great show. So. But, uh, I, I, think, I, I think that I showed amazing restraint today. <laughs> you, you almost went there, though. I almost. I know. But, John, it would have been your fault. You're the one that got me started this week. <laughs> Anyway, so um, I've got about 20,000 miles on this truck that the Freightliner dealer found for me. It's got a uh, DD-15 with a 12-speed and a 216 rears. Um, The problems are it's like a 12,000-pound front axle, and then like the fifth wheel they put on there, there's a 43-inch gap. And it's mm-hmm. just a slug. But anyway, so 
the guy I run through, he's wanting to get some uh, company trucks, and I, I sent him Henry Specs with the 216 five years ago, and he never tried a single one. And I keep telling him, and he finally can. He says, man, help me spec some trucks. And I was telling him about this direct drive, and I just love it. But So I'm thinking about a 13,000-pound front axle and a different uh, fifth wheel. But uh, the question was, I, I heard a previous show, Kevin was talking to a guy that had a DD-13 with, like, I think they had 3,000 trucks with that, and they were pulling tankers. So we pulled 48 states, uh, reefer, van, flat, whatever, you know, up to 120, 25,000 pounds on some of the flatbed stuff, but, you know, mainly 80 and less. Do you think the DD-13 would work with the application and still have the power like this one? I'm just amazed at this 216, you know, how well it does. The DD-13, honestly, is when you look at the power curve, it makes the same amount of horsepower as a DD-15, just in a different RPM range. So it, it, you have to turn more RPM to get to the horsepower. And that's counter to what you're trying to do to get fuel efficiency out of it. Um, I am not a fan of the DD-13. I, I know Kevin really likes it. I, I'm just not because it, it has to run at higher RPM to get to the horsepower. Now, if you run a DD-13 down low, um, it will run and it will get phenomenal fuel mileage. But it, it'll, be a, it'll be a slug because there's just no, there's no power there. Um, uh, and, and when you look at a power curve on the DD-15, um, they have some similarity. Now, it does come in lower. It, it, it makes some horsepower up front similar to what the Volvo does, but when you look at the power curve on the DD-15, it, it kind of goes up kind of like a steeple, and then it, it wants to take the slant down. So when the driver does run the RPM out on it, he's not – fueling the hell out of the engine because there's no, there's no power to be made back there. And that's one of the big advantages that Detroit has, I think, out in the real world. It's very easy for a driver to get fuel efficiency out of that because of the power curve. Um, when it is down in the range where it's supposed to run, it, it does have very nice power. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, it just has a narrow range. That's why they prefer to run direct drives. Um, Direct okay. drive works very well in a narrow operating range, and that suits those engines well. If you go to DD13, it's just going to run a few more RPM. The fuel mileage probably will not be as good as a DD15 um, because the DD15 is much more capable at low RPM. Wow. Uh, well, I'm just, I came out of a 600 horsepower Cummins, and, you know, that Bruce and him fixed up for me. It was just a delight to run. And with this 216 direct drives, it's not much behind that, really, pulling the hills and stuff. Well, and I just can't wrap my head around it. Let's <laughs> think about this. It's a 600 Cummins. And whenever you add horsepower, you know, it, it's, it's torque times RPM divided by 5252. I don't care if it's 700 horsepower. Generally, that higher horsepower is out in a range that you're never going to get to. And if you do, your fuel mileage is going to go to hell anyway. So when you look at that 600 horsepower Cummins, if you run it at lower RPM, it's going to be very comparable in terms of horsepower torque 
to the 450 or even the 400 uh, DD15. Hey, you know, same thing with the 455 D13 TC. Hey, hey, Joel, Joel sound like Darth Vader yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Roboto. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm here, but I'm I am yeah. too. Everybody sounds that way. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's oh really? It, it's your fault. Oh wow! There it came through. There yeah. it came through. Uh, it sounds like you might. Am be I still sounding bad? Yeah, you still do. Yeah. Okay. Have your Garmin headset on. Yes, I do. Yeah. You might want to just disconnect the headset real quick and then reconnect it and see if that does it. All right, that's what I can do. Hmm. Well, that was so well, I'll I'll losing, up. but I, I, so the uh, 15, okay. Go ahead. I'll pick up where, where he left off. What Joel's getting at there is that horsepower is a calculation, right? So you get your 600 horsepower Cummins, but it does it at RPM range where you're really not running. What your Detroit does, maybe not to the extent that uh, the, the current Volvos do, but still same philosophy. Uh, it's got a higher torque number. They never see the RPM, so you won't get that big. You'll, you'll never get that big uh, uh, horsepower number. But from, like we were talking about tractive effort before, the actual work being done is done by torque at a lower RPM. So that's why you're, 450 horsepower DD15 feels nearly as strong as your as your Cummins, and it gets and it does get better fuel mileage. Obviously, uh, oh, yes, yes. fewer combustion events. I mean, the pistons are going up and down less. I mean, if you look at everything that goes into that, and you know, I, I understand gearing really well and overall gearing, and I am a fan of direct driving. There, there is a purpose for for with the super downsped engines, and they they seem to overcome the uh, the torque reduction created by an overdrive. Uh, you know, the engines just have that much torque at those RPMs that it, it doesn't seem to bother it. But with your engine, you're way better off with that direct drive 216 is a fantastic package. That, that's a great truck. And that's why yeah, it works so well. But he so was they missed concerned it slightly. about startability and stuff like that because we do like utility poles and they'll be out in a thing and have to be pulled by a dozer or something. And, you know, but I, I told him, I said, I can't feel any problems. You won't no, have a problem at all. Drive. That's got a low enough. Yeah, that's got a low enough yeah. uh, first gear that you're fine. When they designed the direct drive transmission gear sets in there, they they account for that. Joel, whatever you did didn't work. Oh, okay. It didn't work. Okay. I don't. <laughs> Might all right, have we'll try to again. Disconnect and call back. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll do. Okay, I'll I'll keep an eye out for you. <laughs> John, you can pick All right. up there where you were. We done with this call? Oh, I, yeah, I go, go ahead. Totally was not I paying attention. About startability. So I have no idea what the... Yeah, yeah. So the boss was worried about startability with that 216, and I believe that the, the lower gears in that transmission and that uh, DT12 Direct are, are, are plenty low to get you out of anything, even with the 216. So I don't think that should be an issue at all. Okay. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I just, and like I said, he's trying to do this, and I wanted to uh, send him some stuff. But like I said, I sent it to him five years ago, and they haven't even tried one of them. They were doing like <laughs> 456s, and just, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Well, these trucks don't six miles a gallon. Well, yeah, and I've been telling you this stuff for all these years, but. And go. finally, he's wanting to listen when it's six dollars a gallon for fuel. So, well, thanks, fellas. Yeah. Have a yep. great Thanksgiving. Hey, hey, Jacques. Appreciate it. Jacques, right. you, you can 
you can uh-huh. you can lead them to knowledge, but you can't make them think. Well, and it's like the um, Pittsburgh Pirates Max Mileage. Like I said, four years, never had that. And I've been trying to get him to do that stuff, and he's like, oh, well, you know, we're a company. We, my guys ain't smart enough to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, there's a great <laughs> attitude. Yeah. 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 All right. Waiting eight months to get a, to get a one box. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. There you go. All right. All right. Good, good talking right. to you. Thanks for the call. Let's see if uh, if we've solved Joel's issue here. Joel? Am I any better? Much better. Much better. We're oh, gonna, yeah. And we're going to move awesome. right yeah. on to another right. call because uh, they're piling up. Brian in New Hampshire, it's your turn. Well, if, I, if you guys don't get fired for talking about hot honey for three hours, maybe it will for me bringing up alternator efficiency again. Uh, here we go again. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you guys saw my post on Trucking Tribe a couple weeks ago. I, I brought this up on the Power Hour last week, and uh, Joel, you, you're the one that got me thinking about it. Um, I... <sighs> I know you're running that, that lease Neville 4,000 something. And I found your picture with the part number on it and looked it up. And mm-hmm. that that's pretty exotic for what I'm doing, but, uh, I'm not running hey. an EAPU or anything. Hey, so I don't... hey Brian, b- before you get too deep into yeah. this with, with all the science, I, I have a theory that, uh, we need to put to the test. So the only thing we need to do to make this alternator setup work right for you we need to take uh, a couple lead wires off the, the main post on the alternator. We need to run tungsten wire over to a container that has a 50-50 mix of max mileage catalyst and hot honey. <laughs> It'll fix it. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Now you can get into the science. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I know that alternator you're running like $1,500, which I guess at 300, what is it, 320 amp is, is kind of what they cost anyway. Yep. But, uh, yep. Um, I do believe you're running a brush type, and I think yes. you said that was more efficient, but like well, everyone it, else is lower. At lower RPM, it was more efficient. Uh, Lisa Neville just came out with a brush lift that I think is 380 amp for about the same money, and the overall efficiency is significantly better as well. So that's probably where I'll be on my next truck with that with that new alternator. I think this one is like 68 to 72 percent efficient, something like that. The new one is uh, in the high 80s. Is this the Idle Pro Extreme, or is it something different? Uh, that may be the name of it, possibly, yeah. Delivers like 90% of the amperage at idle. Right, right, yep. Yeah, and I've run into that issue, you know, run around at 850 RPM. You know, sometimes alternator will struggle, um, so I, I, I need an alternator that does stuff like that. Okay. Um, and... I, I don't know if I just made this up or I swear I heard it somewhere it, that 
brush type is easier on batteries? Mm, I don't know that to be the case. Um, okay. I, I, I have had zero problem as long as you change the brushes. They seem to run forever. Um, in fact, the reliability, as long as you're changing the brushes, seem to have been better than the uh, brushless. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure why, what's going on there, but um, I've had very good luck with them. Uh, at least the Vel 320 has been a very, very good alternator for us. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, I'm. I don't know if in a traditional application, if it if it uh, makes sense to get the six hundred dollar alternator. Well, the problem the that we had, one? <laughs> it, it's going to it's gonna depend on the batteries you have. When we originally put that in, one of our problems was we were short regional, so the guys were maybe driving four and five hours in a day, and they would have a hotel load all night, and we needed a bigger alternator just to charge the four batteries because our, our battery life cycle was just horrendous because we were never bringing them back to full charge with a 165-amp alternator in four or five hours. You'd have to run, you know, eight hours straight at like 1,500 RPM in order to get a full battery charge back on. So we originally spec'd that 320 in that duty cycle, and some of the batteries wouldn't accept the charge, at, and you'd cook batteries. We were cooking them left and right. Um, so there were some things that we'd done, and I don't remember exactly what it everything entailed but one of them was the battery type we ended up getting away from a cranking style battery and went to a true um deep cycle with big heavy plates in fact we were weighing batteries to see which ones weighed the most because they held up much better the heavier the battery the longer it would last especially when you put that big alternator to it hmm. oh interesting were, so, were you running a true deep cycle or like a marine yes. kind of hybrid? No, oh, wow. it, it was a it was a true deep cycle. I think we we went from a, a nine hundred and like seventy five cold cranking amp battery to a six hundred. Wow, and two no pounds to ninety eight pounds, and none. It never had a problem with them, and the the durability was just way better. I I mean, we basically doubled up just on that move alone um then when we added solar to it and you know got all the 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 issues figured out with the alternator as far as there was a i don't know one of those sensing wires down there that would really kick the power up at certain times we had to get rid of that because it would just fry batteries of that big alternator on a four battery system and um we got rid of that sensing there and uh put the solar on it went to the heavy batteries and I, we just don't have a whole lot of battery issues anymore. Ah, and those are just traditional lead acid? We found uh, out that uh, failure rate on a four-battery system between lead acid and um, the gel type, um, they were, it, was, it was identical except the failures occurred at different times. Lead acid, traditional lead acid, fails in the cold, and then the um, the gel type, they fail in the heat, but almost at exactly the same rate. So um, the the heavy lead acid batteries, we just got the Freightliner brand at the local Freightliner dealer. It was the heaviest battery we could find. 
and it was around 600 or 650 cold cranking amp. They were cheap, and uh, they held up well, and uh, they'd put them in everything. Um, Interstate came in with a very similar battery at a better price, and they had a, a better replacement deal on them. And uh, that's what my brother's still running in the fleet to this day is just a, um, a, a heavy lead-acid true deep-cycle battery. Huh. Good stuff. Nice. So, sure. Well, I want to complicate this more. So, are there efficiency numbers on uh, amps produced, shall we say, from the alternator and how much drag it creates? There is. Um, you can get all that information on alternators if you dig deep enough. But, yeah, they're absolutely right, yeah, so there actually be horsepower numbers that, yeah. That's what, yep, uh, yep, for the drag on. And see, this is right. where solar, this is, Nussbaum had done a, a really in-depth study on this with solar, and they claim that the solar keeping the batteries up, reducing the drag from the alternator was enough, just that cost justified the solar on the fuel savings. Because when you go to start the truck, yeah, 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 just that drag all by itself would cost justify the solar. And I, I'm inclined to believe it, too. I haven't done a study on it, but um, I, I definitely am inclined to believe it. You know, when you start your truck on a on a cold day, and if you pull the hotel load, that first 50 drop, and you're doing this dance trying to get it to come back up, everything warms up, and the batteries charge back up, and you're getting the... And then it it starts to come through and, and it seems like solar really helps with that. Yeah. I, I, and that's free power. There's no reason not to do the solar. I can't see why you did, why, why it's not on the top of every truck and trailer. It just makes it. Yeah. Money. It's a, yeah. The, the price is really getting in line and it does make a lot of sense. Yep. All right. We yeah. had to cut Brian loose because the calls keep piling up faster than we're getting to them. So uh, we're going to head off to Mississippi. Paul, welcome to the program. Paul? Hello? There you are. Hello? Yeah, say I'm not Paul. This is Jeff from Michigan. Uh, you know, I, I, some, uh, I, I'm just going to hang up on Paul because that is three times in a row now that I have said I'm going to Paul and I click on the uh, wrong person. I don't, I, and I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> That's three times in a row. So I don't want to talk to Paul. Paul now. Yeah, sorry, Paul. We'll, uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll leave him there. We'll see. As long as he promises not to yell at me when he, when we do bring him on. All right, Jeff, you're here, so it's your turn then. All right, cool. Say I got a. So I've been after trying to get a uh, new Volvo spec um, for over a year now. I I talked to Kevin at your dealer uh, in Ohio there, and he specked yep. me out one just to small quick story whatever and i've been talking to i'm excited right now i'm I, I gotta tell you i have talked to so many volvo dealers in the last year last week i decided to give up on it i was going to order a freightliner and this week i decided to call brandon at m and k volvo in byron center michigan mm -hmm. and by god darn i talked to him and he didn't have nothing. I said, if you ever get a cancellation, give me a call. Ten minutes later, he called me. He had a cancellation. I was so excited. I just nice. left wow. Byron Center just this morning. We specced out our truck, 
or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. What you got going on there. And mm-hmm. the deal is it comes in March. I only got till December 6th to get the thing straightened around. And I know just last week you were talking about how overwhelmed you are um, at mm-hmm. your alpha drivers deal. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if I send you the spec or whatever, it, it, are you still able to look at it and modify yeah, it? Yeah, shoot, shoot, shoot it over and I'll, I'll try and make a point of, of getting over it for you. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Very yep. cool. So, and then one of the questions is that he, he, the way we had it set up, they won't let me put the uh, flow below on it. Is that kind of a deal with the 6x2? Uh, with a lift axle, that axle moves in an arc, and the current flow below, it will make contact. Now, with the wide base tires I have on mine, I can set that panel just barely outside of the tire, and when it swings in an arc, it will actually swing in behind that that dog bone um, piece, and it's not a problem. If you have duals, you can't get it out wide enough, and it will contact it, and it, it doesn't really hurt a whole hell of a lot. You just have to make sure that it doesn't loosen up over time because it just barely contacts it, but it does. Um, you know, if you're handy in the shop, I would just order it separate, and you can probably figure out a way to mount it on there to where it won't. When they industrialize the stuff, they want to be able to put it on on the assembly line, and they don't have time to, you know, take the time to make the adjustments so that that thing won't hit during the swing on the arc. They're supposedly working on a solution for that. It's just not out yet. I got it. Okay, and then, okay, so I'll just get it from Kevin then and put it on afterwards. So then the other thing like that, uh, Veda, do you got do you is that something that you need or that you run on these trucks or don't you do that? Or? I have it on mine. Um, you don't need it if you get it. My suggestion is to have them take the Bendix software and set everything to minimum sensitivity. Uh, some dealers will protest saying, "Oh, they they won't let you do that." You can do it, um, and the the what they're worried about is liability. If you have a VEDA system on there and you set it at minimum sensitivity and then you have an accident, what they're worried about is, you know, somebody's going to have a kajillion dollar lawsuit against you because you set the sensitivity to minimum. So most people at that point just delete it. I personally like it at the minimum sensitivity. Um, it just gives you some situational awareness. You know, as, as I get a little bit older, I, I know my reflexes aren't quite as fast. Um, and it, it is nice. It, it does give you a heads up. Um, I can't say it's ever saved me from an accident, but it does keep me a little more focused, especially towards the end of the day. Um, I, sure. I do like having it. Um, it drives me nuts when it's at the factory setting. I can't stand it. I'm cussing and swearing at the truck, pounding on the dash. It's just constantly oh. in your ear, and, and I do not like it at the, at the factory setting. Now... Let me preface that. If I'm running speeds over 62 mile an hour, if you're under 62 mile an hour, um, you'll never hear a peep out of the damn thing, even at the factory setting. But if you're running faster, um, the closing rate, you know, it, it's, it, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's right to me. It seems to me like they've done an adjustment based on 62 or 65. So when you do get over that speed, it does kind of drive you nuts. Sure. 
I got that. Okay, and I run mostly. I'm a six. I run sixty five as my speed, pretty much. You know, for for the general rule. But um, uh, and I've asked you this before. I mean, and and you've told me it should be just fine. But I so a couple of shows ago, you you said that you were going to come to Michigan and run a guy with one hundred twenty thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. These trailers with four axles or three or something. Anyways, I do the same thing. I got three axles on my trailer, ten foot spreads. I run Michigan mm-hmm. to Wisconsin, and you had mentioned mm-hmm. that your drive line maybe wasn't approved for over eighty thousand. I and maybe I took it wrong on the show or something. Is that like I run? That is. I'm ninety eight thousand. Correct. You know, when you go to two point one six rear axle ratio. Um, the manufacturer rating on that axle is 80,000 pounds. Now, 226, you get there. You're at 125,000 pounds on it. Um, and when you go to 226, that opens up the availability of the 14-speed, and I would definitely have that 14-speed if I were you in that application. I would run a 226 or a 231, depending. If you're going 6 by 2 it'll be 231 because that's the ratio it comes comes through at with a 14 speed and it'll it'll work just fine um it gives you a little bit better startability and and uh the fuel efficiency is very very good with the 231 as well so in if i go to that ratio is the 14 Mm -hmm. speed available to me yes at at 231 they they may still have to do a ca a custom uh, adaptation where they'll have to get it approved through engineering you will not get iTorque logic, but with that kind of weight, you don't want iTorque logic. You'll get what they call comprehensive ship logic. Um, you want to make sure that the comprehensive package is there. You'll get the 14 speed. You'll also get the kick down pedal and the performance shifter. So when you send your stuff over, I'll, I'll make sure that I go through that and mark it all out for you. Okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I. All right. Well, yeah, I'll just ask you questions. And it's Alpha Drivers at, what is it? I forget now. It's uh, Alpha Drivers dash TC, drivers dash TC dot com. Dot com. Okay. All right. Very cool. I had a million questions, but whatever. I'll, All right. I'll let you on right. something else. I really appreciate it. You're, you know, and if you got to put me on the, on the payroll or, you know, meet, pay you or whatever i will happily do that for sure i know you're you're very busy so i really appreciate you guys and i really appreciate this show you guys have taught me so much it's unbelievable Excellent. thank you guys have you're, a good day you're welcome thanks for the call let's go to we're gonna try mississippi again paul uh-oh i gotta hit the button paul hello <laughs> i heard the, <laughs> I heard the I, beat on. <laughs> I didn't do I'm, it on purpose ready, paul i I'm swear that's right. I'm ready to get my prize. I got three in a row. So there you go. <laughs> I get a prize. You, no, you get. I, a, I got a couple of. You quick get a questions. four four ounce sample bottle of hot honey. Send it. <laughs> <laughs> I I got I got a couple of questions for Joel, and then I got a couple of comments about horsepower. Um, mm-hmm. all your emissions, your DPF and SCR, that's all on the right hand side. Right under the cab, right? Mm-hmm. On your Volvo? 
And then yes. your exhaust pipe, do you have a grass burner and it dumps out in front of yes. the rear end? Yes. Okay. Right. Yes. Because I saw a VAH this morning at Canton, Mississippi, but I was already driving, so I didn't stop. Um, gotcha. But it it looked all it looked pretty slick actually. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the new one's pretty cool looking. Yeah, you know, they changed the. I don't know if I like the front bumper or not, but I, I guess it's for cooling yep. and everything's so short. So, yeah. Right. Um, in this country, a lot of people are spoiled with horsepower because even even company trucks are between mostly between 400 and 500 horsepower at 80,000 pounds. Um, and then there's plenty of owner-operators that have... 500, 600, 700 and above, and I'm in the 600 to 700 range at 80,000 pounds. A friend of mine in Australia tows a triple road train. He's a company guy. Runs at 114 ton metric, which is just under 251,000 pounds. And he runs a 485 horsepower X15. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it still gets the job done. So mm-hmm. people in this country just don't know how spoiled they are. They think, oh, you can't. I'm real heavy at 80,000 pounds. <laughs> I've only got 455 horsepower. <laughs> yeah. 39 years ago when I started, we ran at 100,000 pounds with 300, 300 or 350 horsepower. There you go. got there. Yeah, yep. fuel economy may not have been that fantastic, but it'll still get there. So, yeah. So, that's all I got. Today. All right, real short. That's so. all we need. Thanks for the okay, call. Have fun. Let's. Uh, looks like we're going to do an oil sample. Norman, welcome. Thank you for taking my call, Kevin. Uh, yeah, I would like to check the my. Uh, Oh, all right. Uh, this doesn't look familiar. I've never looked at this before, have I? Uh, yes, sir. I called you last uh, July, I think. Yeah. July. So that would have been... Okay, you've only done one sample since then. Um, so I'm going to make a guess. I don't remember this, but did I recommend you do something with the bearings last time? Uh, not yet. You just told me to uh, change the oil. And this is the result of just an oil change, and yes. you've put uh, about 22,000 more miles on the oil. Does that sound right? Okay. It looks like what we had going on then, because um, this was in-framed uh, 200,000 miles ago. Is that right? Yes, I left that now. So it looks like we just had what was probably excessive wear metals after the in-frame, like it kind of had a rough break-in, but it looks like that's cleared up. This this last sample for having uh, 22,000 miles on it, most of the problems that we thought might be happening look like they're kind of disappearing. So I would just say keep an eye on it. Not sure why we saw so many wear metals in the beginning there, but um, they seem to have slowed way, way down. 
Well, Kevin, uh, may I ask you something? Is that the best time to uh, put uh, the synthetic oil now? Yeah, I would. Well, what's your oil consumption like? It shows zero added here. Oh, yeah, I, put, uh, I added uh, four of that one, though. Uh, I make a notation uh, on my on my uh, on the uh, pa- the paper that I, I added up four gallons of oil, and I, I was wait four gallons in twenty two thousand miles. Yes, sir. Oh, um, I who who rebuilt this thing? Oh, just just a small small. Uh, uh, shop here in Houston. Yeah, I have a feeling this was kind of a lousy rebuild. Um, that we we went through those initial wear metals. They have slowed down some now, but you've also got pretty high oil consumption. I mean, we're we're seeing engines being built today that aren't using a half a gallon in twenty two thousand yeah, miles. Yeah, I, I I don't use a pint in sixty five thousand miles. I mean, yeah, I don't use any oil. And even even I had a Series sixty yesterday that was an in frame, so it's not like it's all new technology. It's it's an old Series sixty and twenty some thousand miles. He had put a half a gallon in, not four gallons. And so you're you're doing about a gallon every six thousand miles. That's not a good number. Yes, sir. Yes. Sir. I I kind of doubt that this small shop's going to do anything for you at this point. I would certainly go back and talk to them and show them this and talk show them your oil consumption. I I doubt that they're going to do much, but you might as well try. Um, and all I can say is just really sample and and keep an eye on this thing. So I'll just keep my old oil, or do I need to uh, do another oil change? Uh, no, I wouldn't change the oil. Um, it's actually cleaning up. But part of that cleanup is the fact that you added four gallons of oil in 22,000 miles. That dilutes a lot of wear metals. So we, we may still be getting more wear metal than we should be getting. We're just diluting it with all that makeup oil. So no, I wouldn't change it. The oil is not the problem. Uh, there, there's, I, I just don't think this engine was put together very well. Uh, how about, uh, do I need to replace those bearings now? Or I, you know, it's hard. it certainly can't hurt if you get a chance to pull the pan down and look at them. Just in case, again, if we're if we're diluting this, we might be missing. There, there was quite a bit of lead. Copper was climbing for a while. Um, it does look better now, but we even had high tin. Uh, we had high chromium for a while. Uh, John, any thoughts? Did we lose John? Still there on the board. Did we sounding that way, but I'm back. Okay. Wait, wait, I'm here. I'm here. There you are. Um, were you missing all that? I flipped my mic up. No, I listened oh. to the whole thing. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, uh, uh, that kind of consumption, I mean, he really doesn't need to bother ever changing it. And those those numbers that are cleaning up, obviously, adding that much oil is going to clean them up. Um, I, I think he needs to talk to the shop that did it. That, that consumption's not acceptable. It's just, it's and these kind of wear metals across the board. I mean, it's just not a good sign. 
Right. Yeah. So it's it's as it's as if the rings never came in. Like they're just uh you know they never never seated against the cylinders, which depending on the cylinder kits they use, is really have nothing to do with the, the installer. The installer just put them in, but it seems to me that uh, it, it would like the rings aren't sealed up at all. Yeah. Well, we've yeah, got. I remember uh, we've also how we used got, to take care of that on an old two-stroke Detroit. Oh yeah. Not, put some, when the uh, rings didn't seal, just, in just there put a handful of Kama cleanser right down there and boom, Comet, yeah. seal the rings yeah, up. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Knock the glaze uh, off. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I haven't thought about that one in a long time. Oh, yeah. They yeah, have a thing. <laughs> we used to do that. The guys that used to idle the two-stroke Detroits would glaze them over all the time. And, yeah. I mean, that was just a common thing done. You just knew, bam, you know, and and uh, so something to think about anyway. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm, but I'm also concerned about the bottom end. So I don't think it's just the cylinder kits. We had, we had right. you know, yeah. rare metals from the bottom end here, too. We should probably get in there. And you know what? Here's what I would do. Take it back to the shop that did it look at and the bearing tell anyway. them to look at the bearings at, at their cost. Tell them to pull the pan down and look at right. these things. It won't hurt you to ask them. I mean, we'll not hurt them to go say, hey, look, I can get this oil analysis that doesn't look good and we're consuming oil. Can you take a look inside? Yeah. They may make it worse. I don't know if you want them working on it at all, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, okay. Just, uh, yeah. I do have the parts already, uh, Kevin. I I don't have the parts of the 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 bearing on the before the bottom. Yeah, I I don't uh, know that any of that really matters. It's it. not it's not the old parts that we're concerned about. It's all the new parts. But I I would start with them. Take it back to them. Show them the oil consumption. Show them the oil analysis, and say, what can you do for me? And will you take a look at the bearings so I know where we're at? Okay, and then. Call us back, and uh, we'll we'll see what we can do yeah. next time. And just keep an eye on this thing. But yeah, that you're probably not going to be changing much oil. Just sample. I would sample every twenty thousand um, is what I would do between fifteen and twenty for now. Let's go to Arkansas, Brian. Welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, just like one of your earlier callers, I was trying to suck uh, out a new Volvo. Uh, we've had one on order for over a year and they're ready to, uh, start putting together. So we got to get the specs together. Um, does Joel okay. have his, does Joel have his, uh, specs on his truck published somewhere? Well, when you go to a dealer, you should be able to just to tell them, I want a Volvo iTorque. And that should give you everything that you need, at least get you very much in the neighborhood in terms of powertrain. It'll get you the right rear axle ratio, the correct transmission, the correct shift logic, horsepower, torque. That'll, that'll get you all that. Then you'll just have to decide, do I want to go six by four or six by two? So uh, I know, in the I know sales tool, six by four mm-hmm. because they've had, uh, this is a company truck and they've had uh, a couple of really bad experiences with six by twos. Uh, most likely, um, I can tell you that today six by two is much, much improved over just a couple years ago, but I get it. The water's poison and they probably want to go six by four. So, um, exactly. easy enough to do. So, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Just tell me you want a six by four. I torque and with the performance and, um, 
Uh, correct. I fork package should come with all that. That should all be there. Okay. So just just like the last guy, um, if you got something to write with, it's Joel at alphadrivers-tc.com. Tell them you want an iTorque spec. See what they give you and send it over to me, and I'll take a look at it. What well, what was that last bit? Alpha drivers dot what? Dash tc dot com. Like traction control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like that. Okay. All right. Well, I got the, the specs that the dealer sent us for their proposal, and it's not even close. And now they they're gonna want to. Tell you some weird goofiness, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's a D13 with 12 speed and and uh, super low gears. So, I mean, I run 65 mile an hour, and our your loads and our loads are pretty much identical. Half our loads are under 30,000 pounds, but we often sure. get the other half, you know, ranging all the way up to 80,000. And we do mountains and we do the 48 states. Mm-hmm. And uh, gotcha. With this old 2016, yeah. I can sometimes squeeze nine out of it, but most time I'm running seven and a half. Sure. And if we can get a mile, two miles to the gallon, that's a big savings. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, send over what they sent you, and I'll, I'll take a peek at it. Okay. All right. Do. Sounds good. Thanks Thank you for the call. Right. Appreciate it. Let's uh, let's head north of the border. We're going to go to Alberta this time. Ben, welcome to the program. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Good. I've got an Good. oil sample Good. here. I'm, uh, it's a different oil sample, so I'm trying to figure it out. Looks like the only thing flagged, that's the easiest thing to see here first, is oxidation. Uh, any issue? Oh, wait a minute. This is a Duramax? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, do, do you do oil reviews on trucks? Uh, Chevy, yeah. like, just pick up You know, kind of, sort of. I mean, oil analysis is a basically all the same. It's knowing where we should look on specific engines when there is a problem. And I'm not at all familiar with that kind of stuff on this engine. Uh, John, you may be able to help. Um the oxidation, yeah, so so we can kind of tell you what's going on a little bit, but I'm not going to be able to point you anything specific. Um, when I see oxidation, one of the first things I think is, is you know, it got hot. So has this thing been running hot, or have you had any issues with overheating? The hottest it would run would be around 95 Celsius. Uh, so no, it really never gets hot. Wait a minute. When that's not it, hot. One. That's two hundred. Two. Isn't that like two forty some? Two twenty something? No, no, no. Two hundred. Two hundred. Is it? One hundred is two twelve. So it's only about two and ninety-five is fine. Yeah, oh, okay. Fine. Yeah. So nothing. Now that doesn't mean yeah. we're not getting some hot spot somewhere in the engine. It, we, but but again, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, to go look for something like that. Um, other than that, everything seems fine. I'm not 
Yeah, again, I don't do enough of these to know what I should be looking for. It's an engine I'm not familiar with. It's an oil analysis I'm not familiar with. So um, I, I'm not seeing anything obvious that jumps out at me other than that oxidation. And there are times when oxidation is just not an issue at all. The oil might be a little old and, and it's oxidized over time. Um, and I've seen oxidized oil that just keeps working and it doesn't cause any problems. Right. But yeah. other, other than that, there's not a okay. whole lot I can tell you on this one. Okay. Um, okay. Another thing. Uh, Go ahead, John. Is there a base number? Does it uh, have a total base number? Let me check that again. See if I can find that. Um, oh, I'm sure it's on here, but why can't I find it? Additives, physical test. It should be under physical test. No, it's not there. So what does the base number mean? The base is how the ability for the oil to fight off acid. Uh, base gets depleted as the engine, the combustion creates acids, and then the base is there to, to offset, kind of like taking a Tums when, you know, you've got heartburn. Right. Um, right. Because if it's some of the, some of the low base uh, uh, stuff, you know, you'll see that higher oxidation number, that's all. Because some of the modern oils that don't have much space in them. Yeah, I, I'm shocked I can't find it on here. Hmm. It, I, you would think, if anything, it'd be under additives, because that's what it is, but it's not under physical right. tests, not under additives. Uh, I'll call them guys at the, at the lab and ask them. Yeah, I just... And if it is I low on you know, normally, let me see what else. Uh, I don't see a total acid number on here either. Um, right. I, I'm just not seeing it. I've looked over the whole sample and I'm not seeing it. Huh. Okay, and um, um, Joe might be able to answer this. Uh, on the 2004 uh, Mac. It's the Mac engine uh, C8613 uh, model. When you shut off the engine, there's that little, like I'd say, winding down sound for about five seconds. Sometimes yeah, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. What is that sound? I believe that engine has an oil spinner on it. Oh. Yes. Oh, what is that? Positive. What is the purpose? Uh, that's a centrifuge and it's spinning particulate matter out of the oil. And, uh, you should have a, a little canister in there where you can pop the top off and you'll see a whole bunch of carbon build up on the walls of that. And, uh, you need to clean that out. That's, that's what that is. It's kind of sounding like probably that thing is full and it's catching the spinner and, and it's not spinning if you're hearing it on and off. I see. So is it, is it at the filler cap where you fill the oil? No, I don't remember where it's at on those. It's, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience on them, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it does have a, a centrifuge on it. I don't know where it's at exactly. Um, it shouldn't be all that difficult to find, I wouldn't think, though. Okay. 
Okay. But it, I don't. It won't be at the filler. I don't. I don't think. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think it is because there's a big. Uh, you you take off. There's one boat up top. You lift it off, and then there's a. Uh, it might be then. Oh, yeah, it might be. So yeah, that they thing can mount these things anywhere. So. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then another issue I've been having, nobody can seem to point me in the right direction. Um, I'm only getting six volts at the solenoid engine brake, and the engine brake's only working on half cycle. And it, it's saying I need 12 volts, and the MAX-3 module supplies the voltage. Where is that module, and what is that module? Mm, that's another one that I'm not going to be able to... To, to answer for you. I just don't have a lot of time on the Mac engine itself. You know, the the MP8s and 7s and 10s, yeah, but uh, the older ones, I, I just didn't have enough time on them. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint that issue there. Gotcha. Okay, but anyways, yeah, if you can't, that's okay. We'll, I'll just keep digging, I guess. All right. There you um, go. Um, Thanks for the go call. Let's go to Michigan. Matt, welcome to the program. Uh, Mississippi. Mississippi. But got either it. Way, you know, I thought it was um, odd that you were in I don't Michigan. Know if this is more John or... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's close enough. Yeah. Um. My trailer axles I need to replace just the hubcaps. You know, the plastic is dried and cracking, so I'm going to change oil. What would, and I'm willing to experiment stuff that, you know, goes even against any manufacturer recommendation. What is the lowest oil any of you would attempt to run in a hub? Currently, I have the Spicer... 7585. But I've run um, a 30 weight transmission oil in it before. Never had an issue. Yeah. Hot Shot Secret has a has a Kevin's favorite, some type of nano lube out there. <laughs> um, that's very, very and that's what I I would throw that in there. Does it have Russian oh, nano uh, diamonds? Wait, I don't know oh, if it has Russian nano diamonds or not, but it's a uh, it's a nano lube for sure. There yeah, yep. It's it's it's. I think it's tungsten disulfide or titanium disulfide. It's the stuff that you put in there. Call, call Steve Crone or yep. Steve him on Facebook. Told me about that. Yep. Steve, Steve Steve Steve's got the special juice for the wheel bearings. It works really well. Yeah. So okay. it's uh, he, he. I was gets, thinking like, even like yeah, a ahead. engine oil, like a zero twenty weight or something. I mean, just thin as can be, just a bearing. It's not like, you know, a differential where you got pressure. Sure. You're, there's still some loading in the bearing. Um, it squeezes that oil pretty hard. Uh, you know, because there's got to be a film, and that film gets worked pretty hard. So you do want something with a lot of zinc in it, or, uh, you know, if you're going to go to a, a motor oil. If you, know, you, you want to go super. But make sure you use, like a, like, a racing oil or something that's got a lot of zinc in it. Uh, but yeah, make sure it's got some, uh, yeah, some, some, some metals in there. 
Um, yeah, it's super, super thin. As you could, uh, you could buy yourself some Marvel Mystery Oil and dump in there too. <laughs> that might be a little too thin. <laughs> uh, well, you want thin? There it is. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I did find my axle housing with the drive axle housing model number. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with no drain plug. So I'll, I'll do some Googling on my own, see if I can figure anything out about it. But I'll, I'll shoot you an email with the, with the model number and if I find anything. All right. All right. Sounds good. Differential oils. Okay. Sounds good. Um, we'll look forward awesome. to that. We're going to move on. We're off to Florida this time. Giovanni, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, guys? Thank you for um, answering the call. Uh, I got a Volvo um, 8, 2018 D13 engine. Uh, transmission I-shift, uh, overdrive, 264 rears. Uh, the horsepower is kind of low. It's 425. I don't know about the torque. Um, so that, I want to improve that. I want to upgrade the torque. Well, well, I didn't hold on one second. Hold on one second. Before we talk about bumping the horsepower up, one thing we really, really have to look at are what parameters are in the truck. And what I find quite often are guys mistake um, thinking they have low horsepower when they have parameters that are limiting speed and torque. And we want to make sure that none of those are applied if you're looking for more power before you spend the money to bump horsepower or tune the engine or do any of that stuff. We want to go in there and make sure that you have no speed limit restriction on the lower gears, that there's no type of mass-based or dynamic torque turned on. And almost always when you get a 264 with an overdrive that's an XE package, almost always the dealer turns that stuff on and nobody is aware of it. And so then you get the truck out, you're driving, you're going, man, this thing's a sled. Not really a lack of horsepower. It's how the parameters are set. So that would be the very first thing I would do before I'd done anything else. I would look at the parameter package that's in the truck. What's the name of the parameter that I'm looking for again? You're going to look for speed limitation in the lower gears. Um, sometimes it's called gear down protection. Um, the, it's like P1IE4, I think, when you're looking at the, the list of, of parameters. Um, you're looking at that one. And then is it an echo torque? Is it an XE economy? Is it XE performance? You need to know all this stuff because it will significantly impact how that four and a quarter behaves. When you have XE high torque, four and a quarter, with no limitations on any of the parameters, they run pretty strong. Okay. Uh, what it should be, uh, so XE high torque. Okay. Here's, here, here's what you can do. If you can get to a dealer and have them download the parameter set and have them tell you exactly what engine uh, setup you have in there, and just email that to me, um, okay. and I'll take a look at it. So it's, it's joel at alphadrivers-tc.com, and um, 
and then there's even, does it have the performance shifter? If it has the economy shifter in it, does it have a kick down pedal? If you don't have these options, they can be upgraded. It's not all that expensive and it makes a world of difference on how that truck's going to perform. Um, so many times I get guys just want to bump the horsepower, but they don't take care of all that other stuff and they're still not happy. Okay, let me tell you uh, what they told me, because I, I asked him for the horsepower uh, upgrade, and they told me, okay, give me your VIN number, and we're going to email Volvo and see what they say about your engine. Okay, so I did that a couple of weeks later, so they emailed me back. They said, okay, we've got three options for you. They even give me a price. Uh, they said 390 for labor. Um, 475 for parts, which is the software. So they give me three options. You can change it. It's just you got to choose out of these three. So they, the first option is upgrade to 435 with 1650 horsepower. Okay. The next the next one is 455 with 1750 torque, and the mm-hmm. the top one is 505 with 1815 Torque. Mm-hmm. That's what they told me that they can do for mm-hmm. me. What do you think? Yep. yep. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're looking for power, put the 518.15 in it, but make sure you got to make sure that all the other stuff's taken care of because you'll put that That's in right. there and you'll be like, eh, you know, there's a little bit of an increase, but uh, I'm not really feeling what I think I should feel. And this has really plagued Volvo for years. Um, it, it really gave the D12 and the D13 kind of a reputation as an engine that wouldn't pull, and that's not true. I mean, horsepower is horsepower, torque is torque. If two engines with the identical ratings, they're going to pull about the same. The problem is, is in the parameter package and how they've configured things, and we just need to make sure that we, we have that straight. So you've got the options on the horsepower. So, obviously, you had a, a 425, it must have been a 1550, the very low. So, it is going to be kind of sluggish. There's no doubt about it. And um, we need to just make sure that that parameter package is right. And then we can also talk about when have you run the overhead, have you verified the exhaust plungers are done. Um, uh, Volvo responds very well to air dog and fleet air filter. Um, they run very, very good with those two upgrades that are, are relatively cheap, and they make a make a really nice difference in how the truck runs. Okay. Another question: How I know? How do I know if I got this the exhaust plunger here? Uh, somebody, somebody told me that uh, if you you know the older Volvo to adjust the exhaust valve, they got a sheen or or, or a plate. A thick plate there, or, or that you change it. This one doesn't have it. Does that mean that no, I don't have the exhaust plunger? Uh, the 2018. You'll have to ask your dealer. It could be either way. That's what you told me you had. Correct? Okay. Was it 218? Um, yes. They they the switchover started midway through. So ask them. They'll they'll know if you have them or not. Okay. Okay. And the fuel mileage is pretty good. I mean, I, I want to get better. Get an 8.2, driving 62, 63 miles an hour at 1,100 RPM, uh, 80,000 pounds, going to California and back, and I'm going to New York, back to Florida sometimes. And uh, pretty good, but uh like to, you know, more power and may- maybe better fuel mileage. I don't know. 
Uh, typically, when you raise horsepower on the Volvo setup, because the Volvo makes horsepower at lower RPM, and to get to that horsepower, you have to rev it up a little bit more. Um, I, I personally don't think that you're going to see a big fuel efficiency gain. Um, it, it's going to be marginal at best. It, it may be a little more satisfying to drive. I don't think that you're going to lose a whole lot, but um, if, at, if at all, I think you'll see probably a marginal pickup because it won't downshift quite as much. And uh, it, it will be a little more satisfying to drive, no doubt about it. Okay, appreciate it. So you get the parameters and I email it to you, see what you say. Yeah, yeah, let's see what the parameters are set in that thing. That's, that's where I think is probably your, is, is giving you the grief as far as thinking that it has the low power output on it. Let's, let's get that taken care of. We're going to head off to Alberta. Lowell, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. I have a question for Joel here. Would you uh, recommend an extreme heavy haul going to a VNX Volvo with a yep. T-C engine? Yeah, I don't think you're going to get a TC and a VNX. I don't think. It's going to come VGT. But with extreme heavy haul, you do not want to be running at them low RPM. So this is where the VGT shines. Um, they, the new 500 is actually a 1950 on the torque. And that's exactly what it's for, that type of application. So, um, you know, I would definitely spec that VGT 500. Um, I would put a 14-speed I-shift in it. And, uh, you know, depending on your terrain and whatnot, they'll, they'll come up with some, some axle ratios that, that'll work for you. It's probably going to end up in that, you know, 336 to 390 range, depending on the, on the weight that you're pulling and what kind of grades you're getting into. Yeah, we're, we're pretty extreme. Uh, 250,000 pounds with 48 wheel low bed quite often, maxing out 250. And right now, we're, we got my last four new winch trucks have all had Cummins in them, 565, mm -hmm. 1850 torque, 430 rears. Mm -hmm. Horrible for fuel economy, of course, but pretty extreme, right? Um, they want me to go to a C500 Kenworth and auxiliary mm -hmm. tranny and stuff, but I see what they're doing for fuel economy, and I'm probably the only guy in the that tracks it, but my 90-day average, or my lifetime average, actually is about 3.6 miles per gallon. And mm -hmm. the C500 is on Fat Car Solution. Their lifetime average, which is pretty close, I think, is about 2.4. So, mm -hmm. I'm just, the Volvo, when I looked on Google's site, it said, that the TC was available in the VNX, but maybe not in that extreme heavy haul application. I don't know. We run eight by sixes uh, with mm -hmm. 60,000 pound winches. And yeah, it, it's pretty extreme. I, I love hearing you guys talk about 10 miles a gallon, but that's not practical what we do. No, right. Exactly. You got to be realistic for the duty cycle. If you have a lot of empty miles where you're lighter, then the TC mark might start to make some sense, but if you're 
heavy all the time. This is an area where I think the VGT is probably going to do a little bit better for you. Um, you know, it, with the heavy haul stuff, you need to keep momentum up. You need to keep the engine RPM a little bit higher. And, and uh, it, it, the, this is what the VGT is still in a Volvo for, is for this type of application. And that 500-1950, I think, will compare very favorably to the, the 565-1850 Cummins. I think it's going to be probably a little bit better, um, especially if you uh, if you run a 14-speed. What was your, your weight you're talking about that you're running? Uh, 250,000 pounds. Yeah, yeah, you're right out uh, the, the weight limit on the on the 14 speed, I think it's rated to 250,000. So, um, I, w- I would seriously look at it and, and see what you think. And, uh, let, yeah, let me know what you end up doing on that. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. going to let me spec whatever I want, I think for my next truck. So, nice. uh, I, I'd let, like, it's not my fuel at one minute and I get paid by the hour. I just like to do better. Right? So, sure. Uh, sure. I, I'm used to 18 speeds and picking my gears, jumping three, four at a time sometimes off-road. And what's that, I, that you, 14 speed auto shift going to do you, for me? You can do that. You can throw it in full manual and, and pick whatever gear you want, um, or you can run it. Yeah. There will be several different types of logic. They have an off-road heavy haul logic for it that um, my understanding is that it works well. The people that I've talked to that have used it, uh, one instance in particular, I can't remember the name of the fleet. They do a lot of heavier stuff up in Canada. Came off Kenworth, went to the 14 speed, set up that this is very similar, not quite 250,000 pounds, but they damn near doubled up their fuel mileage. So um, yeah. they were real happy with it. Yeah, interesting. I, yeah, we don't get much momentum in the mountains here. Uh, downhill, sure. obviously, but uh, I, I pulled some passes here the last few days in the snow and 48 wheels and I'm like eight mile an hour going up the hills, right? Sure. So just about spinning out yep. and cleaning up and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, I've always had a manual, so I, I've always thought not, you know, auto shifts maybe not ideal, but I know well, they're a lot more efficient than the 18 speed. I, th- I think the one thing that you're going to find with the 14 speed is that super deep reduction in your application is going to be very helpful. So you're going to double up the amount of reduction that you have versus an 18-speed with a 14-speed I-shift. So you're going to be able to – yeah. So I I think that's going to be very noticeable for you. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, because you're running a 430 – right, you're probably going to be able to get away with like a 355 or a 370 with that 14-speed – and and it'll probably do really well for you because of that deeper reduction. Okay. I appreciate the info there. All right. Thanks for the call. Sure. We're going to take our last call here. So, John and Joel, if you guys want to be thinking about what you might close with, we're going to head off to Missouri. Uh, Giles, welcome to the program. Hi. How are you, Kevin? Good. What can we help you with today? Uh, if you, uh, well, I sample, I sent you yesterday. All right. We've got a DD-15. What year is it? 2018. Coming up on 600,000 miles on the engine, 22,000 on the oil. There's no 
Uh, no bypass filter on this, right? Just the factory? No. Yeah. Okay, and you are using a T4 1030 weight? Yep, Rotella okay. T4. Uh, this is a pretty boring sample. There's nothing to talk about here. This is just it's clean. I mean, you, you could easily run this twice this long, probably much further. Okay. Okay, because uh, they flagged me uh, last time. They flagged me on the viscosity, and yeah. I was kind of... Yeah, the, the viscosity, they actually flagged it because it was high. Um, your your sample before that was normal. Then you had a high sample, and then is it possible somebody put in some ad oil that wasn't what you thought it was? Mm, not supposed to. I'm the only one. And okay, nobody didn't put, put in, any oil in it. Nobody put any in from a gun. That that's almost no. that almost has to be some sort of an anomaly. Really, and, and it's right back to where it should be. There was no reason why it should have gone up. There was no contaminant in there that would have raised viscosity. So now we're right back to normal. I, I would just ignore that one and move on. Okay, and I should be good for at least 30, 35,000 miles between well, them. Well, you know, the, the recommended on this engine is 50,000. Yeah, I know. I'm used to uh, the old engine at the fit, uh, 15, so uh, that's no, why I, I put I, it at 25 it, first. And oh, sampling at 25 is great, yeah, but you don't have to change till at least 50. I would just sample again at 50. All right, I'll try it uh, next time. All right. All right, appreciate Sounds good. That, All right, uh, have a good one. That's going to do it. Anything you guys want to close with? Hey, I got something here. It might take just a minute, but sure. um, on the last uh, power hour, you were going to ask me about uh, the balancer on the engine. Oh, that's right. Catch us up to speed for the, on for the Volvo. The, the okay. Different Volvo okay. So I got fooled on this the other day. I, <laughs> I called it. I called it on this. So the majority of them are going to be external. So. Remember from our training, we talked about the architecture and how stiff the bottom end and how overbuilt it is. And then we also talked about uh, the piston speed throughout the stroke, and we have a smaller bore with a more consistent speed, so we have less G-forces smashing down on a much crank. So the guys at Volvo, the consensus opinion is that it should not have to be changed because of the stiffness of the bottom end, you get much less vibration running through it. You can change it if you want to. It's not going to hurt anything, but it shouldn't need it. Like if you're comparing to a Cummins that has that hyper-fast piston speed away from top dead center, and it, it's got a crankshaft that's flexing all over the place. And, and uh, you know, oh, I, I can start to see Bruce's point on some of those engines that have a lot more vibration potential going on there so that vibration is heat and that will dry out your your fluid in the damper so i i i kind of get that um interesting they just don't see that happening because of the the stiffness of the bottom end of the engine um and especially with the tc where we're applying that torque in a you know 360 degree fashion that really helps to smooth out the vibration um they're thinking that you know, if you want to replace it, go ahead, but it should not be necessary. Yeah, that's interesting. John, 
thoughts? Oh, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, if you look at the short connecting rods in like an ISX or or even a cat, you know, cats are no, notorious and, uh, you know, the Series 60s, it's worth changing, but they don't vibrate quite as much as the Cummins and the cats. Uh, definitely, you know, if you look at what happens inside of one of those dampers, you've got a ring inside of there that's mounted on sliders and could spin in there freely, but it's got a fluid. It's, uh, it's a non-hardening silicon, basically. It's a silicon gel that, that dampens its movements. And the stuff just work hardens. So it, 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 so what happens is every time there's a combustion event, it twists the crankshaft a little bit and then it twists it the other way. And it rebounds. What that does is absorbs the rebound whenever they, when the uh, crankshaft tries to go back into its normal shape and keeps it just from snapping back too hard. Uh, thus, if that thing becomes a solid chunk, it's out there spinning around and not absorbing those vibrations. And you, you end up with cracked crank. On an engine with the architecture of the Volvo, with everything super stiff down there and a nice stiff crank that doesn't wind up that much, and long rods that don't have extreme angles pushing on the crankshaft, it's not going to twist the crankshaft as hard uh, and create those little vibrations that need to be dampened. Thus, it doesn't need as much. You know, it, it, it should last forever. Got it. it it's, it's amazing how these are built. And any, anyone doing a proper business plan around this truck, you use it and get rid of it. Right? You it use it for a million and a half. Like, maybe. Yeah. maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even two million miles, right? Yeah. And you don't worry about any of that shit, right? Yes. You, you just you 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 buy the truck, you, you run it for a million and a half, two million miles, sell to some kid who wants to start a trucking company for who knows, it doesn't matter. You, you got your money's worth out of it. You yeah. get another one. That's yeah. <laughs> so, All right. Well, I, it's a tool. It's a I tool. actually, you know, yeah. Actually, had an example that they gave me. There was a mine over in Indonesia somewhere. And they were having a lot of problems on their Cummins with the damper issue. And Cummins had come in and they'd done all these things to try to correct it with a heavy-duty damper. And they were still having issues with it. And, you know, Volvo came in with a bunch of D16 powered trucks and they never had one failure in the same duty cycle on the damper. So, you know, I guess that's a, that's a pretty good indicator that they're doing something different on the box. And then it's working for them. Yep. Well, that's good to know that it's this geometry. isn't. It's a simple geometry. Yeah, yeah. that this isn't yeah. across the board. There's and and the explanation makes total sense. So, I love that. All right, we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, Joel, you've got your homework. John, you've already started on yours. So, next week I want <laughs> hot honey reports to start the show. So, uh, I, I, so maybe we ought to jump I, on on a Wednesday. I'd yeah, come on on yeah. Wednesday. I'd, I'd like I'd like to do a Wednesday. Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. I'm, I'm going to call home and, and, and yeah, yeah. I'm going to call home and send them to the grocery store and get out ahead of this and get it started. <laughs> so it's, it's there before I get home. There you go. <laughs> I want to drive it. That's right. So uh, you guys just plan on calling in on Wednesday. We'll have you as a guest on Wednesday. Be, be careful with the uh, honey out there in the world. I mean, some of it is just some fake honey, high fructose oh, corn syrup stuff. There's bad flavoring stuff. Sure. There's, so there's, be really, really yeah, yeah, that stuff that comes in those little bear-shaped uh, bottles, yeah, don't touch yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Hey, I, um, actually, <laughs> when, gotcha. I, when awesome. I get off this call here, or off the show here, I have a call to make to um, one of our partner companies, Azure Standard. Either one of you guys order from them? No, no, I have should, not. You should check it out. They they are, what a great company. They started right here, not far from me. They're 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away from me here in the gorge. Uh, it was a small family-run farm, been in the family for generations. And um, 
the one of the the family members, um, David Stelzer, really started you know combining and working with other. They were really into the whole regenerative farming thing way back when. Then they started partnering with other farming companies and delivering, and they are now the largest distributor of like organic and and regenerative food in the country. And almost nobody's heard of them. They, they have a delivery model where they, we brought them on the show. We actually help them find drivers. They have an awesome setup for drivers um, because their system is kind of like I, three times a month, I order once a week, three times a month, I go to Hood River, which is 20 minutes away. And I go to a little natural grocer and they have an area in the back where I have my code. I just open it up. I grab my boxes and I leave. They just deliver it all in bulk boxes to the store and I pick it up once a month. I actually have somebody here in my little town that organized a delivery so once a month, I don't have to go but about a half mile away from my house and pick it up. And the, the, the kinds of products they have are just amazing. And, and you can buy small amounts like a typical, you know, jar size of something, or you can buy bulk. They, they do both really well. So like the honey, for example, they, they really are kind of the honey bottler distributor they find you know really good sources of honey all over the country and in the season off season i think they do go out of the country for some of their honey but then they bottle it so i I could buy all the way up to a 55 gallon drum of honey nice so so kevin i'm on their website right now and and i'm gonna go on one of my my phone listening to me rants i'm I'm on my iphone talking to you and i have (laughs) my mac in front of me and uh, i opened up safari when you mentioned azure standard and i got as much as azu typed in and azure standard came up so either either their 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 seo is really really good it is or 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 something else is going on yeah (laughs) yeah no you will i can spend all day on their website they have so much stuff i mean i buy like garden seed from them and and it's just all kinds of crazy stuff but their food the food options are just incredible and uh, I'm going to call them to talk about some ideas around, you know, bulk honey, some things I'm looking at. So check those huh. guys out. So I just, uh, we, we, we missed, we missed Paul. Paul's gone. He's probably still listening. I, I was at my local grocery store the other day looking for some butter. I normally just get carry gold because it's about the only grass fed. And there was some butter from New Zealand. It was a grass fed that I got instead. And it's fantastic. It, it actually tastes different than other butter. It it's kind of brown. It's not even. It's not even that pale yellow color. It, it's delicious. There's, you can eat it. <laughs> well, oh, I do. There's something about the honey yeah. from or the butter from New Zealand. <laughs> I've talked about this stuff in the can. Red feather. Uh, I haven't had that yet. No. Get, getting something grown farms, New Zealand butter out of a can seemed really odd, but that is the best butter I have ever tasted. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, uh, maybe Paul can check that out that next time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's different. It really does taste different. It's not like yeah. the, uh, the, the American and the Irish. If I, and if I don't find regular, some grass that I get the Amish roll butter, yeah. which is also delicious. Yeah. Just to get the good. So, uh, stuff. When, 
once you've got your uh, once you've got your honey all worked up, which doesn't take long, uh, seventy two hours, you've usually got a pretty good product. And then the cool thing is, you'd leave it for a year if you wanted to. From what I understand, this is one of the easiest for men's. They it doesn't go bad, um, but try it with wings. Oh, that'll be great. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. If you have a just Definitely. A traditional buffalo sauce that you like, just make it and then just add some of this hot honey. It's incredible. How about that's just so, glaze yeah. a whole roasted chicken uh, with it? That, it? that would be really yeah. good, too. Yeah. Uh, I Oh, you know what else is good? Yeah. I, I glazed bacon with it. You make like bacon, a, I think it's duck, you know, too, with the, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. A, a hot candy yeah, bacon. I think it's, or, yeah. No, we're we're, okay. we're going to, hey, I got to go. I'm kind of, all right, right. Oh, all right, we're out of here. We will, uh, we'll see you next week. Be all safe, right. be profitable, uh, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Have a great weekend.